0: Lord God, on this third Sunday of Advent, we are invited to remember and celebrate joy. Even as we are in that stage where we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and we're preparing to sing joy to the world, but it's not quite there yet. We find reason for joy because you are the God who comes to us. You do not require us to get to you. You are the God who, as you come to us, you reorient just about everything we think that we know about who you are and the way the world works. And so even in our call to worship, we were reminded of Mary who sang a joyful song about the God who takes on the cause of the weak and the oppressed and turns things on their head. And in a world where it seems no one else is capable or willing to do that, this is good news for us. And we rejoice. And like Mary and many others, we celebrate and we also wait and long for you to do this in its completion, to make things right, to bring freedom to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to release those who are imprisoned and oppressed. And as you do this, and as we watch you do it, may our hearts fill with joy. And we ask this in the name and spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: The Gospel of Luke chapter 3, starting with verse 7. I'm going to be reading out the New Living Translation, and I invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word for us this evening. Hear the word of the Lord on this third Sunday of Advent, a Sunday of joy. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, We're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. And if you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, Teacher, what should we do? And he replied, Collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? asked some soldiers. And John replied, Don't exhort money or make false accusations, and be content with your pay. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their question by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with a never-ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. A very strange and almost harsh text on the third Sunday in Advent, which is, which is the one of joy. So it is the third Sunday of Advent, we've said this many times already, and each Sunday of Advent focus on, focuses on one important aspect that we have, uh, it focuses on one important aspect of what it seems that God is doing in the world as we anticipate the arrival of Jesus, Jesus Christ. We join with the saints and confess that He is coming not in the way in which we expect, but we hope that He comes in the way in which we all need so, week one of Advent focuses in on hope, and this is a deeply rooted hope. It's a hope that surpasses reason, it's a hope that surpasses logic, but it is a hope that is rooted in the belief of the apostles themselves, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And like the saints of old, we do not believe that the coming of Jesus Is about God making things better for us, as if we we need to be healed from a cold or something like that. But Jesus is about in God in Jesus, God is about making the world new. We we believe we have this hope that that in Jesus God is restoring the world. So we stand in this place and 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 we stand in between the place where where we know that God has come. And we have hope that God will come again. And when he comes again, he will, he will make all things new. So that's week one. Week two of Advent focuses on the peace that is deeply, deeply held within this hope. It's a peace that passes all understanding. And week three is about the joy that comes in Christ. Joy uh, that the hymn says is unspeakable and full of glory. Now, I don't know if you could use more joy, but our kids helped us, but still, I, I could use more joy, and in light of this particular text that seems really rough, I think you could use more joy. We could use more joy together. So I want to, I saw this video, I thought it was a great Advent video, uh, and so you've probably seen it before, but I want to show it to you again, okay? So, enjoy Amazing thing. I thought I would give you that gift. I have actually heard some people in this room with those kinds of laughs. So laughter is this thing that is God-given, and we're really kind of the only species that, that does it. it. It expresses something deep within us. There's also a chemical thing that happens that, that allows us to see that the world is actually better than, better than what the news media or others would tell us. Certainly words like happiness come to our minds when we, when we see something like this. But then there are these, these actions and these activities that we do or that we're surprised by that jump out in front of us, call for our attention, and laughter is just, it's just the best response. Laughter seems to be the opposite of the text that we read today, doesn't it? John bursts forth onto the scene And uh, unlike the other governmental authorities who we could read about in the beginning of the text who are are in charge of the world, uh, the man for whom everyone is forced to work, John presents the people with a new idea, and they're not exactly sure what to do with it. And the idea is this, that when Jesus comes, it's no longer business as usual. Now, Luke tells us that uh, John came, and he was preaching a sermon of baptism, And the forgiveness of sins. And the people were hearing this message. And they were rushing forward. They were running. They were diving into the baptism waters. uh, Holly's family tells a story of of their great-great-grandfather. Whose name was H.C. Watson. And he was from Ohio. And when he got saved, he got saved at this revival meeting. And he was so excited about his conversion And it was so dramatic that he wanted to be baptized there in the spot. But there were a number of problems with this. The first problem was there was no baptistry in the church. The second problem was it was winter. The third problem was they were in Ohio. But he insisted. So the church people carried him out to the lake there behind the church. And they smashed a hole through the ice so that he could be baptized. This is the image that I have in my mind when I read this text. But apparently, John did not like to see this large crowd worked up in a euphoric frenzy. He didn't think that it was a good thing. Now, most preachers I know love it when the house is packed. They will go to great lengths in order to make sure that people show up. But John is actually angry when he sees this. Because people were lining up simply because it was the popular thing to do. I once attended this, I once attended a Billy Graham meeting and uh, it was one of his crusades. And he had all the people, after he invited them down, go back to their seats. When Billy gave the invitation for them to come to the front and pray to receive Christ, the stands there in the stadium emptied and everyone headed out onto the field. And Billy was so surprised, and frankly, I think he was pretty upset that he sent everybody back. He didn't want anyone coming if they were only doing it because everyone was coming. And John, like Billy, sends them back to their seats. Only he blasts them, instead of being nice like Billy Graham, he blasts them, he calls them mean names, and he rains down upon them this prophetic judgment. Now John knew that Jesus was coming, and he also knew that he, when, he, when this happens, it will no longer be business as usual. And so John says, I want you to stop. I just want you to stop what you're doing. Soon he will be here, and God's judgment is going to fall on you. And This does not sound very much like a, like a joyous experience. A word of judgment can be an immediate turnoff. And these are the kinds of reasons, passages like this, are the kinds of reasons why people don't like the Bible very much. We hear John, and we don't appreciate his judgmental attitude or his tone. As liberty-seeking, First Amendment folks, we don't see a text like this as good news at all. We see it as limiting, and it holds us back, and we want to be free individualists. But to think of a text like this is to live in business as usual. But this is a gospel narrative. And this is Advent. And God's ultimate goal for the people in the text and people like us is is actually not liberty. And it's not individualistic freedom. You know what it is? Salvation. This is what God's intent is for us. Salvation that comes in Jesus. And when salvation hits us, it's not business as usual. So John reminds the people, forget, what, forget doing what's popular. Forget what, else, forget what everyone else is doing. That doesn't buy your salvation. Forget who your family is. That doesn't buy your salvation. Forget who your friends are. That doesn't buy your salvation. Forget that you have a certain education or you make a certain amount of money. That doesn't buy your salvation. And in a twist in this text, the people that begin to realize it. And there are days when you realize it and days when I realize it, that we indeed are in need of salvation. Our, Our bodies are storehouses for pride and anger and jealousy and hypocrisy and rage and envy and lust and greed. We carry inside our own bodies memories of regret and we are, we're broken, but, but the good news is in our brokenness, surprise, joy can break through when it's not business as usual because He has come to surprise us. And it's in this that John, this, this setting that John explodes on these people with this statement, Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised. God is ready, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and it will be thrown into the fire. Now, those who have grown up in rigid, legalistic churches, when they hear this passage, it's harsh. It feels as if John is saying, God is going to come and judge you, and he will with pleasure come and chop you down and throw you into hell. And if that was a correct translation, that would be pretty terrible, but I, I bet you can imagine that I don't believe that that's the correct translation. Because when we take a look at the text, the people do not react out of fear, they react out of joy. Joy. They say, this is good news. This is obviously a statement of judgment, but you need to know that judgment statements are just grace statements in disguise. It doesn't matter where you've come from, who your family is, what your pedigree is, and being baptized into this family, you're now able to, capable to produce fruit, We say it this way, your life can mean something more, and all of that junk that made up your life that has defined you, all that dead wood that sits on the side of the road of your life collecting termites is only good for one thing, to be thrown into the fire. Think about it this way. What if judgment meant that when he shows up, he's going to do something about the stuff that holds us back from living into the the fullness of who we are? What if it means that he gives us the power to be fully who we have been created to be? What if it means that we now have the ability to love ourselves so that we can love our neighbor? What if judgment means that God in Jesus says to the world, enough is enough. This garbage that holds my child back from being fully who I have created him or her to be is done. John says that when Jesus shows up, God's judgment is one that will rain down on the baggage, on the old remarks, on the fear, on the anxiety, on the worry, on the labels, on the systems of oppression. God's judgment in Jesus is an act of judgment whereby God destroys the lids that cap our potential so that we are free to live into our potential. Think about what it would feel like to have the deadwood, the baggage and the burdens, the flaws, the aches, the pains, the regret. Think about what it would be like to have that thrown into the fire so that your life can mean something more, so that the relationships in your life could, that are broken could be restored, so that real healing can happen, so that burdens can be lifted, so that joy can be fully realized think about this. Think about the joy and the freedom that you might know and your name is no longer just addict. Think think about the joy you'll experience when you're not held down by this addiction. Think about the joy that you'll know when when your memories are healed and the, the pain is thrown into the fire. Think about the joy that you'll have when you move from self-loathing to self-love because you finally realize that you have been made in His image. They say that joy comes in giving, but Christians know that joy is the expression of actually receiving a gift. We call this grace. Joy is the best makeup, Anne Lamott says. Joy is the net of love by which you can catch souls, Mother Teresa says. And when these people in this text heard this for the first time, they said, what should we do? This what should we do question is a life-changing question because in it, it is no longer business as usual. And we look into this text and we see it, people, the most unusual ones, begin to ask the question... They're the people from the crowds that are asking, what should we do? They're the people there in the crowds, folks that had more than what they needed. They began to ask, what should we do? And John said, if you have two coats, just give one away. Now, in this world where it's business as usual, people interpret this from a 21st century lens, and they say, this is liberalism or this is socialism. But no, remember, this is the gospel, and it is the new kingdom. And it is not business as usual, and Jesus is creating a new social order, and the new social order is good news for all. So, when we've received a gift, we think about living in this kingdom, especially during this season. We get to ask ourselves, "What do I have too much of? How can enjoy I give out of my resources and my wealth and my extra?" The other group of people that asked the questions were the tax collectors. Consummate cheaters, manipulators, thieves, these are the people who legally walked into people's homes and took what they wanted. The sheriff of Nottingham, they represented and embodied injustice. And they began to ask the question, what should we do? So John responds, treat people fairly. If you're in a place of authority, just don't think about the bottom line. Don't make that your priority. Think about the people you serve. Think about the ways you might meet their needs. Can you share with them out of your wealth? Be the undercover boss. Find out about them. Know them. See their real lives. See the image of God in each one of them and meet those needs. Go overboard in your giving. And then there was another group that came to, to John there. They were soldiers. People who have been accused of and, and committed police brutality of the day they were, they were power-hungry, violent-infested, non-listening folks that, because they had a sword and a badge, treated people harshly. They came and they said, we, we know we need salvation. What should we do? John said, protect the innocent. Stand up for justice. Treat people fairly and with kindness. No shakedowns, no blackmailing. Be happy with your pay. These are John's words, and the people were so overwhelmed with this, they couldn't believe it, and they thought that John himself was the Messiah, but no, John said, there is one that you will encounter, and he is coming. I am simply baptizing you with water. You, you think this is good news? Just wait until he shows up in the flesh. Just wait until he gets here. I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. I am his slave. And in him, you will see the fullness of joy that you, that you cannot imagine. In him, you will see the image of God. He is the one who goes overboard in the gifts. He is the one who treats people fairly. He stands up for justice and kindness. He is the highest authority. He is greater than even the Caesars. We, we even refer to him as the Lord, and he, he has the power to heal and forgive and restore. He will ignite a blazing fire. The Holy Spirit will work within you, and he is going to clean house. He's going to make a clean sweep of all of our lives. He'll place everything in its true and proper place before God. And all of the junk that lives in us and all that caps God's best for us, he will put it out with the trash to be burned. He is the one who has come, and the Christians say that He has begun this work in their lives now. And John says, and He will be the one to come again to complete this work in its fullness. And if this is true, then this was good news for them, and it is good news for us, and joy explodes. I think the immediate question that we are invited into on this third Sunday of joy, the third Sunday of Advent is, once we have heard this, what is it that we should do? Would Would you close your eyes for a moment? I want to give you a moment to actually ponder this good question. If this is true, He has come and He is coming again. If it is true that He is the one who Christians say has begun this work in their lives now, but they wait with anticipation of His arrival to complete this work again in them in His fullness. If this is true, and it is good news for the people in this text, it is good news for us, What is it that we shall do? Lord, it is our prayer that we would be obedient to You and that we would walk closely and in step with You. And as we have heard these great words, and as joy has begun to arise within us, and we know that once you have come, and we anticipate that you will come again, we, uh, we know that you are bringing judgment by which you are creating a, a sweep to clean the house, and yet we wait for this in its fullness. We want to participate with you by asking, what is it that you want us to do? We understand that uh, the joy of being Christian is the fact that in grace, you give us good gifts before we were even aware of you. In fact, 2,000 years ago, you demonstrated your goodness and your grace to us by inviting us to the table, to the table of our Lord. And it was a constant reminder of something tangible, that it is no longer business as usual. And every time we come to your table, we ask this question, what is it that we should do now that you're about the business of restoring the world? What is it that we should do in order to align with you so that we can live into the full potential that you have created us to be? And we say with the saints, in hope, with peace and in joy, that Christ has died, Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Each week, I invite you to this table as a physical reminder that grace has actually met you before you even knew it. This table is a reminder that God, in God's judgment and grace, in God's judgment, grace is uh, grace is disguised, and that you are invited and to the joy that He provides for you. I I invite you, reminding you every single week that Jesus, on the night before He was betrayed by those He came to save, took, took the bread and He gave thanks and He broke it and He said, this is my body which is broken for you and whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, meeting with his friends, he took the cup and he held it up and he said, this cup represents the new covenant that comes in my blood and whenever you drink this, I want you to do so in affectionate remembrance of me. At our church, we celebrate an open table because we believe that grace is open to all who are longing for salvation and know they need it. So all who are open to the transforming work of Christ in their lives, who have heard this good word called the gospel and have experienced and can imagine the joy that flows from it, you are welcome to this table and you are welcome in this community. Everyone who is open to the good work of God and wants to receive this grace is invited to come to this table. Here is where we live in the tension that there is joy to the world for he has come and we wait for his fullness because we sing together, O come Emmanuel, as we know that he will come again. And yet we come to this table while we live in this tension and know that we are not victims in this world because he has said to his friends, and you are his friends, do not worry I have overcome the world. Everyone who wants to come to this table is welcome, so we want no barriers. Our bread is gluten-free, our wine is non-alcoholic, and I invite you, if you want to come to the table, to exit the left side of your row and come down one of our aisles, but come with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. I remind you every week, we do not take communion here. We receive it. It is a gift. So come and listen to what, one of these, listen to what these servers have to tell you. Then when they hand the bread to you, dip it, the bread into the cup, and then you may eat it. If for any reason you're unable to come down our aisle or you need assistance, just wave at Justin. He will come and he will serve you. He'd be glad to serve you. But when you are ready, my friends, you are welcome to come to this table.